Chapter 10 of Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arnie Horton. Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story by Charles Ross Jackson. Chapter 10 The Cellar. Meantime, our first experience at the mansion previously recorded bade fair to be a serious one when oakes had collapsed on his return from the cellar dr moore fortunately was sufficiently recovered to reach his side in a few seconds elevate his feet stone he'll be all right in a few minutes he has fainted i did as directed and moore threw the half of a pitcher of water on the unconscious man's neck and face gravity sent the blood back to his head and when the water touched him he gasped and presently opened his eyes then we carried him to the bed in an instant he attempted to rise but the doctor refused to allow it giving him instead an enviable drink from his flask keep your guns by you said oakes and give me mine the tension had told on me and more was now by far the best man he smiled and ordered me to take a drink also and to sit down i obeyed for i felt after the excitement as limp as a boy after his first cigar dr moore was examining oak's head fine scalp wound said he and proceeded to sew it up and dress it his pocket case came in handy he had been wise to bring it hurt anywhere else old fellow asked he no sore as the devil all over that's all and oakes arose took off his coat and began to bathe his face keep an eye on that door said he i was myself now and took my chair to the hall door sitting where i could command the head of the stairs and could also hear anyone who might approach from below what happened asked moore well nothing very much said oakes only i guess i got a mighty good licking you look it said i did you shoot for help yes i did i could not shout the shots saved my life how did you kill anyone don't know only the other party kindly quit killing me when i began to shoot i heard something drop however and there may be a dead body somewhere the shots had aroused the household, and we heard shouting and cries from the cooks and from Annie. Soon they appeared, hunting for us, all distraught and frightened. They said they were in the kitchen when they heard the shots, and did not know whence they came. This was probable, as the cellar was away from their section. Annie cried when she saw Oaks and ran out to bring in more help. One of the gardeners returned with her, and as he came into the room, I received the impression of a silent, stern-looking man, past forty and rather strong in appearance, although not large. He had seen better days. Ah, said he, ye have run up against it again, sore. It's nerve ye have to go nigh that room after what ye got last time. Oakes looked at me and at more and we saw he wished us to keep silent yes i shan't try it again in a hurry 
What's your name? he asked. The question came quick as a flash. I knew he was trying to disconcert the fellow. My name is Mike O'Brien, sir. Gardener, you remember? Twas me that helped you last time, sir. You mean you stood by and let the others help me, Mike? We knew now that this was the indifferent gardener of whom Oakes had spoken. Through for ye, sir, twas little enough I did, and that's a fact. I'm not used to being scared to death like ye be, sir. Was that an unintentional shot, or was it a feeler? Oakes had a sharp customer before him, and he knew it. Where were you when you heard the shots, Mike? In the woods, at the front of the house. I was raking up the leaves, be the same token. What did you see? Oakes spoke in a commanding voice, and fingered the breech of his revolver in a suggestive way. I seen a shadow come out of the cellar door. What door? The only cellar door, near the side of the house, sir. What sort of shadow? "'Twas the shadow of a man, and a big one. "'The sun cast it on the side of the house, sir. "'Oakes thought a moment, then arose, and said, "'Step here, Mike, and point out the side of the house you mean.' "'Mike hesitated. "'The other servants withdrew at Oakes' suggestion "'that he wished to talk with the gardener. "'The latter advanced. "'We felt that Oakes was trying to spring a trap. The side of the house where the cellar door is, reiterated Mike. Nonsense, O'Brien, your story is impossible. The sun was then in the east, and the shadow would have been thrown on the east wall. There is no door on that side. It is on the west side of the house. O'Brien looked at Oakes defiantly. You're entirely wrong, sir. There is the cellar door to the east. He pointed to a hatch opening about forty feet from the house near the well the door ye saw on the west is never open tis nailed up the tables were turned oakes was disconcerted if what you say is true you have my apology i have not investigated closely so i thought sir was the answer and we all wondered at the amazing coolness and self-possession of the man it was one against three and he had held his own sit down mike said oakes how long have you been here only a matter of six weeks i came from new york and tried for a job maloney the headman give me one where is maloney he was in the tool house when i come by sir he didn't hear the commotion being sort of deaf all right mike stay where you are a moment then oakes turned to us just after Moore was attacked, I heard a sound like a quick footstep, and having certain suspicions of my own, made a dash for the cellar. I found there was no cellar under the north wing, but toward the west and directly beneath the dining room was a door. As I opened it, all was dark, but my eyes soon accustomed themselves to the light, and I made out a good-sized chamber and what I took for a man near the farther end. I remained silent, pretending I had seen nothing, and closing the door, made a movement back up the cellar stairs. There I waited for about five minutes. The ruse worked. 
the door of the chamber opened and a man dressed in a dark cloak and a mask partly emerged and i thought started for the other stairs at the west end of the cellar i jumped and grappled with him but he struck me with the butt end of a revolver and i was dazed in another minute he was punishing me severely i fired two shots then he threw me away from him and disappeared he was stronger than anyone i ever met said oakes apologetically a regular demon and he got in the first blow i think i wounded him however what shall we do said moore go quickly and investigate was the answer here mike you lead the way mike did not hesitate if playing a game he did it well want a gun said oakes no sore not if yous all are armed guess we can give him all the scrap he wants we descended the stairs oakes last as became his condition he touched moore and myself and pointed to mike watch him he may be already armed he whispered the cellar was lighted by one window at the western end a door at the same end which evidently led to some stairs was padlocked and as oakes said had not been recently opened the dust lay upon it undisturbed and the padlock was very rusty this corroborated mike's story the door above that opened on the ground it was boarded up he said no means was found of passing beneath the dance hall as oakes had said from the lay of the ground we concluded that the cellar was very low there and not bottomed a shut-in affair such as one finds in old buildings of the colonial epoch across the cellar to the other side the south the same thing pertained except at the western extremity under the dining-room there a door opened into a cellar room or chamber here take this said oakes handing mike a small pocket taper light it mike did as told and stepped into the room i after him oakes held the cellar door open and i happening to look at him saw that he was watching mike as a cat watches a mouse he had dropped a match at the moment and with his eyes still on the gardener stooped to pick it up his hand made a swift double movement he had the match and something else besides but mike had not observed and i of course said nothing the room was low and without windows but the air was remarkably clean and fresh plenty of ventilation in here said i yes and blood too said the gardener sure enough the floor was spattered with it mine i guess said oakes moore kindly fetch a lamp from upstairs ask annie for one moore went and soon brought down a small lantern we could hear cook's voice at the head of the stairs also his wife's and annie's it was the long-expected hunt that no one had ever before made and which might clear up the mystery at any time by the better light we saw evidences of the struggle that had taken place a strip of oak's coat and a piece of glazed red paper an inch or so long and perhaps half as broad white on one side red on the other piece of a mask said i 
and Oakes placed it in his pocket. Dr. Moore walked to the east side of the room, where he and I saw a door in the wall, and some plastering on the floor under it. Mike was busy examining a heap of rubbish at the other end. His conduct had been most exemplary. Moore turned the light on the door, and we three observed it for a moment. Mike had not seen it distinctly, if at all. Moore, come here, said the detective, retreating, and the doctor followed with the light. Come on, Stone. I left the room with them. Curious, he heard Mike say behind us. What is curious? asked Oakes. The smart hired man answered, Mr. Clark, the air is good in here. Where does it come from? I guess we have learned all we need this time, Mike, was the reply, and the gardener came out reluctantly. Oakes had seen the door in the wall. It was all he wanted to know. He closed the outer entrance of the room and called to cook for hammer and nails. The man brought them quickly. Then the leader took a board that was standing against the wall, and Mike and Cook nailed it across the door from frame to frame. Mr. Clark, ye will have the devil now, sore, said Mike. Oakes took a pencil out of his pocket and wrote Clark on one end of the board. Then with a single movement, continued his hand over its edge carefully and onto the frame where the line terminated in a second signature. Clark, anyone removing that board has got to put it back to match that line, said Oakes. And that with a board is practically impossible where nailing has been done. Now for the exit that opens near the wall. We went back through the cellar hall and found at the east end a door ajar. It did not lock and was hung on rusty hinges. Beyond was a dark passage. Where does this lead, Mike? To the opening by the well, sir. How do you know? I don't know myself, but Maloney said the outside opening by the well led into the cellar. Cook says so, too. Tis a passage they used in wet weather, sore. Mike, you and Cook go round and guard that outer door by the well. Open it. I'm going through. Mr. Clark, don't go in there alone. I'll attend to that, said Oakes. You go with Cook. The two went to the well and lifted the hatch door. As they did so, Oakes held a lighted match inside one end of the tunnel. It blew strongly toward us. The air was rushing in, and we knew the passage led to the opening. We heard their voices calling to us. Dr. Moore spoke. Oakes, you shall not go in there. You have done enough today. You are a wounded man. I caught up the lantern and my revolver, and Moore followed. Hold on, said Oakes. You are in the most dangerous part. Don't be rash. Here, Stone, you go first, and more. You follow about ten feet behind, without a light, in order that you may be undetected. Take matches. I'll stay here with the taper and watch. When you get to the other end, don't go up the steps leading to the ground until both Mike and Cook show themselves. We know nothing about them, you know. Be cautious. The man we want went out this way, whoever he is. I threw the light ahead and advanced some ten feet. I heard more following. Careful, said he in a whisper. Again I threw the light ahead, 
and beheld only the walls of the square tunnel. I could hear the breathing of Moore behind me. I knocked on the wall here and there with my revolver. It rang true and solid. We gradually advanced until we beheld the daylight and saw the men waiting at the head of the stone steps. I ascended. Moore took the lantern and called back to Oakes, addressing him as Clark. In a moment he came. Stay where you are, Stone, said he to me. Come here, Mike. Mike descended willingly enough. I watched Cook and looked all around. Open that door, Oakes pointed to a little wooden opening in the side of the stairs. Mike obeyed, but instantly closed it again with a bang. A man, said he. Oakes and Moore leveled their revolvers. Come out, said the detective, or take the consequences. I shall shoot. Mike opened the door again, hiding his figure behind it for protection as it swung out. I expected to see someone shot, but Moore threw the light in, and instantly Oakes dived forward into the alcove of stone. We could hear him chuckle. Cook, at my side, was standing on one leg in his excitement. Then Dr. Moore burst into laughter. What is it? What's the matter? I cried. I could not see very well, and ran halfway down. Oakes was standing beside Moore, trying to look grave. In his hand was a red paper mask and a long black robe. O'Brien looked on, his eyes twinkling, but his face serious. I'm thinking it's lucky, Mr. Clark sore, that ye saved your ammunition, said he. Yes, retorted Oakes, and it's still more fortunate you're a good actor. O'Brien's somewhat insolent manner changed instantly to one of civility, and Oakes turned to us. No wonder some said there was a woman in this affair. Then he ordered the hatch door nailed down and handed the things to me. Please take these upstairs, Stone. We must investigate this more fully. And we withdrew to discuss our findings. What do you think of O'Brien, Oakes? I asked. He seems to be a cool sort of customer. Yes, he is no ignoramus. He's a shrewd fellow and a deep one. But I have learned a few things. End of chapter 10